Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Yeah. We also have uh, adult beverages. That have been flowing through our veins the past few days here on this Fourth of July weekend, and we originally, had, you know, we had some good rewind episodes that are still available for you to find on the Mackie and Judd podcast feed, Score North YouTube channel, and uh, you know, we are we are actually going to unplug on the Fourth of July here and kick back over the weekend, and and the Timberwolves traded for Rudy Gobert, so we gave you the uh, the hour long instant reaction from a few days ago, but now that we've had like I don't know seventy two hours to wrap our heads around what I think is the biggest trade in Timberwolves history, all due respect to the uh, Kevin Garnett trade, uh, because now the Timberwolves are on the side of actually going for it as opposed to dumping like they were with KG. Let's just kind of get into our 72 hours later thoughts here, Judd. Uh, processing this move, the good, the bad. I think you and I have both seen a lot of, but the Herschel Walker trade comparisons over the last few days as well. So we can get into all of that stuff today. So... The trade comes down at, what, Friday afternoon? We're now approximately at probably around the same time on Monday, and my feeling about the trade is I like it more now than I did then. Uh, as I said on our immediate reaction pod that we did on Friday, you know, at that point, we're all digesting it still. Like, like it's fun. It, you know, I am, I love the hot takes. I am, I am part of the hot take police department as well as the reckless speculation branch um but that was so quickly uh um calling for me to digest it that you know it's a lot of draft picks it's a, a lot of players uh but now with a lot of time or time between the actual deal being reported or broken by Woj, and as we talk about this phil i like it more i like it for a variety of reasons one is you said the most important thing you could argue the semantics of the Garnett trade and say, well, but I mean, the Wolves gave up a, a huge player. Yeah, right, but they weren't going for, for it. In fact, that was really the start of just punting on, unfortunately, Timberwolves basketball as we knew it, uh, which wasn't great, but it was far superior than what was to come, right? So, like, this is one of the this is one of those deals that I think that can be put in the same context of the cousin signing, which was an enormous move. Uh, we, we are, as Patrick pointed out in today's Star Tribune today, celebrating 10 years since the Parisi and Suter massive signings, which, yes, again, like Cousins, free agency, but a massive, massive move, an investment that, mm-hmm. that what you know, had, and still to this day, is having ramifications on the Minnesota Wild franchise. So 
I think that it goes into the context of those things. And here's what, here's the more I think about the Gobert trade, here's what I like. One is you didn't give up any players that I considered untouchable. McDaniels would have caused way more angst, Mm -hmm. ultimately, rightfully so. Jaden McDaniels being traded would have caused more angst. But you really gave up, in my opinion, Vanderbilt's a player I like. Like, he's a hustle guy. He's He is, I think it's very fair to say, a Rodman light. Like, he's not. He's definitely not in the same class as Dennis was. But he is a hardworking player who has value probably big time off your bench. Beyond that, four players I'm fine with. Mm-hmm. The draft picks are a lot. But, and I think I've been pretty consistent here. Because I am one of the most critical people of teams in town. When I feel that they've screwed the pooch or done something dumb, um, I will jump that team. But I think I've been consistent with Cousins, Parisi, and Suter. And these things are fine to talk about after the fact of, of how it turned out. But when those teams made those moves, I think we both applauded it and said, you know what, damn it. In this town, what do we bitch about? We bitch about the fact that teams don't go for it. Tim Conley is here. And this is a move. You you didn't pick up a 36-year-old aging player who it's like, what are you doing? He's well past his prime. 30 in the NBA now is certainly not done yet. And to add this now to a, a lineup that I think is going to be constructed pretty damn well and coached well, and probably most importantly too, you saved a lot of really good chips. Like guys that should be now evolving, you saved those chips. Those guys are still here. And so just like with the Vikings at the time, just like with the Wild at the time, and hell, even just like with when the Twins signed Donaldson, we all said, okay, yeah, you know what? At least you're trying to go for it. I am on the go for it bandwagon, and I actually like this move now probably more than I did on Friday, and I wasn't critical on Friday. Yeah, I agree. Sitting on it for three days and even hearing, I haven't, I haven't gone back and listened to the podcast yet, but I guess Ryan Rossillo and Bill Simmons just filleted it. I like when a Minnesota team does a, a big splashy thing that gets national attention. It's fun to go through and listen to what, you know, some of the national talking heads are saying. But I guess they just spent like a half hour calling it one of the worst trades ever. And I'll go back and listen at some point. Um, I think the problem is people are acting like the Timberwolves have something to lose here as a franchise. Like, it's been 30 years. One meaningful playoff run. A waste of Kevin Garnett's career. Think about how many times we were begging the Timberwolves during Kevin Garnett's career. Go do something big. Please get him a sidekick. Go get a third scorer. Right? Go Just put something around Kevin Garnett. And these people that are sitting here saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I want the Wolves to be aggressive, but that's that. you can't give up a 2029 first-round pick. You can't give up. Leandro Balmera. I mean, I, I I literally asked someone on Twitter yesterday, would you have felt better? They said, Timberwolves overpaid. I said, okay, well, I mean, I think Britt Robson, who I respect and think he does a great job uh, on a podcast, said that the Wolves overpaid. So there's like, there are some smart, respected people that are saying the Wolves overpaid here. According to what? Is is the goal to, to win the exact market value uh, you know, comparison side by side on a spreadsheet that, well, if you would if you would have been able to keep your 2029 first round pick and keep Leandro Balmaro, then then it's more of an even trade. Like at this point, look at okay, look at right now, 
the like the 10 or 11 players the Timberwolves are going to ru- run out there for a, a starting lineup and a bench right now. Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, and we'll talk about the fit, and we'll we'll get into the elephant in the room, which is Rudy Gobert in the playoffs and the Jazz in the playoffs, because there's a there's a conversation there for sure. Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, D'Angelo Russell right now, who, by the way, fits perfectly with Rudy Gobert on pick and roll. Rudy Gobert is one of the best, most efficient pick and roll players as a big setting screens in the entire league, catching lobs, everything. So it's actually going to be great for D'Lo on that front. Then your bench right now. You got uh, Jordan McLaughlin, Jalen Noel just jumped up two spots on the depth chart, and I think giving him more playing time is going to be huge for this team. Yes. Torian Prince is back. Kyle Anderson provides excellent perimeter defense. He's going to see a lot of minutes, probably 20, 20, uh, 25 minutes a night. Nas Reed right now, uh, the, the three-point shooter they just signed, who shoots a better percentage from three than yep. uh, Malik Beasley for like $15 million less. And so I'm looking at this and saying... Yeah, it, it kind of sucks to give up Patrick Beverly, but he's 33. I'm, I'm not going to rip him because he was great for the franchise and was a huge, huge impact. But he's 33, and he's a he's a role player, and he only plays in like half the games. And so, okay, like it's, you know, at some point his job was done. He helped the Wolves get to where they were going to go, and now there's another step to be taken. Malik Beasley, he shoots threes, and he's streaky, and they just signed someone for $15 million less that's going to help with that, right? Jalen Noel shoots threes. And that so that's not a loss. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, Jared players, Vanderbilt, I agree. it's a loss, but Rudy Gobert is a much, much better version of Jared Vanderbilt. So you you upgrade massively in that spot. So like as far as the players they gave up, yeah, I mean, obviously it'd be nice to not give up Patrick Beverly, but you got to give something to get something. On the draft pick front, okay, once you draft your superstars, once you hit on your Carl Anthony Towns, your Anthony Edwards, Jade McDaniels might turn into a superstar player. Mm-hmm. Draft picks become much less important on draft night. It's no longer about, oh my God, we really we need to hit the lottery so we can draft Anthony Edwards, or we really need to find a hidden gem here in the teens because you know our franchise needs it. There's a lot of teams in that boat right now. The San Antonio Spurs, the Timberwolves already have those guys. So those picks are more valuable as trade chips than they are as draft picks. And they still get draft picks every other year in the first round. Now, they can't trade them in advance because you can't can't be without first-round picks in back-to-back years. But I guess when people say the Wolves overpaid or this is a terrible deal, the only argument I will listen to is people that don't think Cat and Gobert are going to fit against small ball lineups. That is a legitimate conversation, and we have to and we have to watch it play out. If you think they gave up too many draft picks, or you think they shouldn't have given up like Jared Vanderbilt, I'm sorry, but I, <laughs> you, you're not. What are you going to do? Nickel and dime your way with Jared Vanderbilt and uh, and like the twentieth pick? You know, like trade these assets for actual all NBA caliber players, and they did, and I love it even more. Seventy two hours later. I feel like a trade like this in 2022 nationally is always going to be ripped because of you gave up too much. Like, because people on Friday looked at that trade and it's a ton. Like, it's an absolute ton. And I feel like the national perspective and the and the scared perspective is, oh, my God, what did you just do? I mean, what if these guys develop? What? Right, right. What, what, what? Um, my opinion is this. First of all. Until proven that they've lost their fastball, Conley and Finch are smart guys. Mm-hmm. And they were clearly on this trade in lockstep. 
Now, now this is where this is where you kids who are being told by your parents the Herschel Walker trade in my day ruined the Vikings, which is by the way not true, but it ruined the Vikings. And and, and youngster, you're gonna this is gonna ruin the Timberwolves. Okay, here's the problem that Dad doesn't share with you, and this is also sneakily the cousins' problem, which we didn't know as much about at the time, but Herschel is the poster child for this. He was a non-fit for the entire scheme the Vikings ran. He, Herschel was a north-south, I'm going to bust down the, the line and take it to the house. And Jerry Burns ran a west coast, which called for the running back to catch passes, which called for him to, to move east-west. And so you literally made a trade and there are there are several reasons why this is not that trade but you first of all made a trade where your gm went and got a player that the coach really couldn't use well mm-hmm. okay so if you come in now and tell me uh, gobert really doesn't do a thing that the wolves need you got a problem but you don't have that problem because finch and conley are on the same page here the thing that I think we need to explore, and I've not seen this really delved into a lot yet, um, but I think the thing that makes this trade to me intriguing is this too. Because again, Conley knows what he's doing. I'm not saying he's won championships, but he's not a he's not a new guy trying to make a splash because I just got this job and three year, years ago I worked at IBM. Um, Tim Conley, two things. Number one is the fit. It's the fit, and I, I think we should discuss this, but it's the fit of Gobert here. Number two is the opportunity it presents to guys that were not going to get an opportunity without this trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat Bev, I loved him. Patrick couldn't stand him. I thought it was fun. I, I'm sorry. He Patrick, might have been Roy- Patrick Royce. Patrick Royce. Yeah, I'm sorry. Royce couldn't stand Pat Bev. I loved him. I thought it was great fun. But that being said, he was in the way of people playing who probably, according to Chris Finch, and I'll trust Chris Finch, deserved to play, right? So opportunity here. McDaniels now goes way up the list. I mean, he's going to, and, and look, they're going to have to be right there, but that's a chance worth taking. Yes. Noel, same exact thing. I mean, if these guys fall flat, this is a problem. But the, but Chris Finch is saying, I saw enough to know. So I'll trust him there. Now, the, the fit to me, though, Phil, is the most important thing. And that is something, excuse me. That we talked about briefly. I'm getting choked up here. It's tough when you take an extra day off there, and uh, you know you, no, you, you the, put a couple Fourth of July. Who am I kidding? Back. It's the surly. It's the surly like gurgling back up. Who am I lying to, it's, ladies it's and gentlemen? Surly acid reflux. Like, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm not choked up at all. So, so let me. I felt like Harry Carey there for a second. Grunge the logic. Cameron. Hey Cameron. Steve. Hey Steve. How do you spell Wallach backwards? Anyway, so. The fit to me is what's so intriguing, and and it's not just Gobert himself. It's what we discussed on Friday. And look, I think it's going to help him, but I also think it's a challenge now to maximize ability, and that's Cat. Because, all right, we're going to have, until the Wolves make the playoffs and either succeed or fail, the conversation is going to be, well, it's two bigs. It's two bigs. What are you going to do? It's two bigs. I think the way the Wolves perceive this, and I think that they might be right, is, yes, Carl Anthony Towns is a very large human. He's a very big man. If you walk by him on the street, you probably think he is a center on a basketball team. But that being said, look at just some of the skills that we've seen him use on the floor previously, right? So I think to just say, well, it's two bigs. I mean, what are you doing? Twin towers. Okay, this is not 
Elijah Wan and Samson. This is not Robinson and Duncan. This is a guy who is as versatile a player in Cat as you can get. And I would argue if he doesn't have to play as a big, might be able to maximize his abilities completely. Because Gobert's going to do all the crap now that Cat sort of didn't like to do, that left him complaining, that left him in foul trouble. Like, think about Carl's shortcomings. And then take those away. Mm-hmm. So now he doesn't have to drop down. Now he doesn't have to to try and stop a player that defensively he probably is going to foul, right? So, again, I think that just to say, well, look at all the numbers. I mean, look at how much the Wolves get, gave up is to sell short what the thought process, right or wrong, probably is. And it will be so interesting to see how this plays out eventually. But I just think the jump to conclusion of you gave up too much, you screwed the pooch here, misses the entire nuance of the conversation of two yeah. basketball guys who made the trade. Yeah, well, let, let me uh, let me comment on the Herschel Walker thing because you, you, you went down that path. And I just... I just find it so interesting that people are referencing a 33-year-old trade in a different sport as a reason why you should be fearful of what the Timberwolves just did. <laughs> oh, my God, you better be careful. Look what happened to the Vikings. Well, first of all, nothing really happened to the Vikings. If you, if you, We actually did a Rewind episode on this. Uh, go, go to the Purple Daily YouTube channel to the Rewind section. We broke this all down two years ago and then reposted it a few weeks back. The Vikings really didn't dip much at all. They had, I think they had one season below 500 in the next nine after the Herschel Walker trade was deemed. So they traded for Walker in 1988? Uh, nine, October. 89? Yeah, October 12th, I think. And so from 89 to 1997, they made the playoffs six times in nine years. He only played for three years, but six yep. times in nine years. Their worst season was six and 10. Everything else was 500 or better. You know, they won the division three times over that stretch too. So people, people refer to the Herschel Walker trade as if it was a death knell. It sent the Vikings into, you know, Detroit Lions territory for 20 years. Like, no, actually, they they recovered just fine from that trade. Well, yeah, but what about Dallas? It launched Dallas into a Super Bowl you know, dynasty, three championships in, in four years. Well, yeah, okay. So, yeah, Dallas collected a bunch of assets in a trade, by the way, that would never happen in today's NFL just it was just you know draft picks weren't viewed the same way and then Dallas hit grand slams on like four or five draft picks if they whiff on one or two of them they don't become a dynasty it's not a conversation so if you're referencing the Herschel Walker trade as a reason to be fearful or paralyzed by what the Timberwolves just did what you're really saying is the Utah Jazz are about to embark on a dynasty so if that's what you think you're more prophetic than I am, but the Utah Jazz don't look like a franchise that's about to embark on a dynasty anytime now in the next five to eight years, unless they get really lucky keeping Donovan Mitchell, who is not happy, uh, or somehow like collecting all these assets and hitting grand slams on all of them. I, here's the thing. I don't give a rip about what the Utah Jazz do with these assets. I don't care. Right. The Timberwolves are better today than the Jazz are. Right. And if the Jazz somehow like okay use all these picks over the next decade or whatever to bolster their franchise again congratulations that's okay but like that won't come to fruition until after the timberwolves three to five year window has closed and off to that point too phil and i think this is where people who weren't around for the trade get confused because again it's it's enormity of trade right like we got one guy back and they got all these draft picks and what people forget is this and where mike lynn made a mistake is this right or wrong 
Tim Conley pulled the trigger on a trade on Friday that he knew exactly what he was doing. Like, there was no, there's no, oh, wow, I didn't realize I threw in that draft pick, right? Remember, the Mike Lynn, Herschel Walker, Dallas trade in which Lynn thought he had fleeced the Cowboys and the Cowboys reverse fleeced him. All of that is predicated on one discussion. I believe there were five players that were sent to the Cowboys. For every one of those five players that Mike Lynn thought the Cowboys would keep, they lost a draft pick. So it stayed here. What the Cowboys did was they they took five, for the most part, all due respect, slappies, and never intended to keep them. Mike Lynn's like, I give him five players, so I'm not going to have to give up five picks. So the Vikings literally got fleeced on the language of the trade. That's not the problem here. Mm -hmm. So like Tim Conley, he might be wrong, but Mike Lynn was dumb. Mike Lynn, one, got got a big-name player who didn't fit what his coach did. That's a red flag. That's a problem. And two, he thought that the Cowboys were going to forfeit five of those draft picks back to the Vikings by keeping players who, by the way, the Cowboys immediately pretty much released and Lynn was livid. How could they do this? Because Jimmy Johnson's smarter. So, like, I I just, I was there at the time, and, and I just, I feel like we have this generation of fans who probably weren't, which is absolutely fine, but they've been told, you know, the Walker trade. But if you look into it, there's really no comparisons here. Yeah. Also, I think a lot of people are just undervaluing Gobert for for two reasons, and we'll we'll still get into the the playoff failures. The, the Jazz have had some epic second half meltdowns, and Gobert's been kind of a lightning rod figure in the defensive meltdowns. And so that that's reason number one is oh man, despite how gaudy his defensive stats and presence can be, you can neutralize him. If you get into a seven-game series and you can play small ball and flip that switch, then there's no counter move for the Jazz. And, and we we will do I, – I looked at two games in particular, and we'll get into those. Okay. And there is a conversation there. But the other thing I think that happens when people undervalue Gobert is the things that he does and the impact that he has sometimes doesn't show up in a box score. When you have a more offensive-minded player, like look at some of these other big names that have been out there the last couple of years. James Harden and Kevin Durant is out there. and. And you can see their impact because those are more offensive centric players. You can you can see them. Kevin Durant is like six foot eleven, just pulling up for threes from the top of the key and cashing them. Right, you, like you can see and quantify what he's bringing offensively. Rudy Gobert, you can quantify a lot of it. In fact, I pulled up three different uh, sort of all encompassing, um, all encompassing advanced metrics that front offices will use. You can find these on like Basketball Reference and whatnot. Uh, player efficiency rating. Last season, Gobert was eighth in the NBA behind Nikola Jokic, Giannis, Joel Embiid, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Trey Young, and Luka. Just ahead of Ja Morant, Carl Anthony Towns, Jimmy Butler, and DeMar DeRozan. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you don't like PER. Let's try real plus minus. ESPN's real plus minus. Okay. Jokic, number one. Joel Embiid, number two. Steph Curry, number three. Jason Tatum, number four. Giannis, number five. Rudy Gobert, number six. Oh, I don't really know what real plus minus is. Uh, but let's let's try something else. Win shares per 48 minutes. Jokic, number one. Giannis, number two. Rudy Gobert, number three. Three completely different, all-encompassing metrics. He is in the top ten and even the top three in all three of them. Mm-hmm. But when you watch him play, you don't see him pulling up for three. You don't necessarily – like, he blocks shots, but he's not blocking 15 shots in a game or anything. So how can he possibly have that kind of impact? When you watch him play, 
Watch how many times. There's actually some great. I retweeted a great film breakdown of the impact that he has defensively. If you, It's like 10 minutes long. I watched it. Go check it out. Yeah. Watch how many times players will dribble into the paint. Yep. Eyes get wide, and they go, uh-oh. And then they either kick it out for a sort of a panicked shot by somebody else, or they have to reset the play altogether. Yep. And that doesn't show up in a box score. He doesn't get credit for a block or a rebound or anything or a steal or a three. But the opposing team just train wrecked their offense because he was standing in the paint, right? Mm-hmm. So I it's sometimes it's hard. And the same thing happens in football where you know, you, you, you know you sign a defensive tackle. Pat Williams is probably a great example. Pat Williams in his prime with the Vikings. He didn't really like tally that many tackles or sacks or anything, or he didn't really uh Clogged pick off passes up. or he clogged it yeah, up. But he was the centerpiece of the yeah. greatest run stopping defense in the last twenty five years in the NFL because yes. of just him being there, right? And yes, and his his presence did so much, I think most importantly, for the people around him. You know, Kevin Kevin was a great three tech, but damn it he became that much more effective a player with Pat right there. And that's my point about Cat here. See, I think this is all about trying to unleash the roster around Gobert now. Um, and Gobert will do things that will help everybody out. And and you di- if you didn't watch that Grizzlies series and say, okay, beyond the uh, obvious just things that drive us crazy, why did the Wolves not win a series that they should have, have won? I think Finch and Conley and their staff sat down and said, let's watch this and, and let's identify this. Imagine, imagine, I mean, we, we could talk all, all we want about the deficiencies potentially of Cat uh, and Gobert on the court together in the playoffs. But imagine if Gobert had been on the court in that series. Oh, it would have been a, a Wolves sweep or a Wolves 5-game yeah. five five win. I mean, the yeah. Grizzlies took it to them in every area where now it's going to be tougher, right? Mm-hmm rebounding well, drive so yeah i just think that there's so much more beyond well gobert's not good enough to justify this because i think you've improved people around him who are potentially who do have steps to take yep he's also been the best the best player and the centerpiece of a jazz team that wins an average of 50 games the last five years and, and let's let's get into the elephant in the room because there's been some expectations on the Jazz and and they get into some of these playoff series and then things go awry. They didn't even really get. I th- I think they stalled out twice in the second round and then three first round exits in the five years of you know Rudy Gobert's you know peak. I think he's been there. He was there is was there for six or seven years, but his five peak years are are five trips to the playoffs and then a bunch of early exits. That Clipper series from two years ago is the one that everyone talks about. And I went back and I, I watched part of the second half. And I remember watching it as it was happening, too. And you just kind of felt bad for the Jazz and Gobert. Like he, I think he was a minus 34 in the second half. I don't know the box score in front of me. But the Jazz had a 22-point lead at halftime. And the Clippers, this was a game six in which the Clippers were up three games to two looking to clinch. But the Jazz took a 22-point lead into the half saying, all right, Actually, we're going to punch you in the mouth. We'll go back and play game seven. The Clippers opened the second half with five shooters. They said, screw it. We got nothing to lose. We're down by 22 points. Let's put Terrence Mann in, put him in the corner. That was when Terrence Mann scored like 40 points or something off the bench. They they opened the second half with five shooters, and they basically put Gobert in a position to have to choose between standing out by the three-point line in the corner by Terrence Mann or whoever else was rotating over 
or standing in the paint or you know rotating into the paint and, and it was hard for him to cover both he got kind of caught in no man's land and the jazz did a didn't have like a small ball center they could just sub in for a few minutes to collect themselves and then the other problem was the clippers made 14 of 19 threes in that second half which made it a hundred times worse, right? They went with the right lineup, and then they all got white hot and, and hit 14 of 19 threes in the second half. They scored 81 points in the second half. I think people watch that second half or think back to it and say, well, I mean, Gobert was the plotting guy that couldn't keep up with the small ball lineup. But smarter people than me who have broken down the Jazz the last few years and and who have looked at some of these playoff failures, and there was another one in Game 6 against the Mavericks this year, by the way, in which there was a 17-point swing in the third quarter. Dallas took Dwight Powell out, six foot ten Dwight Powell out, replaced him with Spencer Dinwiddie, and they went five out and did the same thing the Clippers did to the Jazz. But, but smarter people who watch Jazz basketball would tell you it's more about the other four guys on the court being yeah. undersized or bad at perimeter defense. So Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley are both six foot one. They're they're not very big guys. They're offensive minded guards. Bogdanovich is an excellent offensive player, not a very good defender. Jordan Clarkson, not a great defender. The Timberwolves, they got some young guys who need to get better on defense, but the smallest guy in the projected starting lineup is going to be six foot four D'Lo. And then you've got Jaden McDaniels, who could be a lockdown perimeter defender as he progresses, Anthony Edwards. Kyle Anderson, who they just brought in, who might not start, but you can rotate him in. Yeah. I think, and again, like I'm, I'm kind of leaning on people that watched a lot more jazz basketball than I did. It feels to me like not that Gobert should be let completely off the hook. The Wolves are much more set up lengthwise, even with Cat out there. With the other three guys, length, athleticism, and just ability to play clamps defense on the perimeter, which is kind of the start of the spin cycle. The Clippers, go watch that second half again. The Clippers, boom, someone gets by, and now it's just a game of kick, swing, swing, kick, wide open three. Right. And if if that happens, it's going to be tough for anyone, Gobert as well, to, to be effective defensively. So there are questions, but I but smart people are saying that the Jazz not being able to defend the perimeter was every bit a problem, if not more of a problem, than just putting it all on Rudy Gobert. And just to a certain point, gets back to, to my biggest takeaway from this entire thing, which is while he is definitely now going to be put in, in a position to succeed, this really, I think, challenges Cat to be the best Cat possible. Like, I, I feel like you've taken all of the stuff off his plate that he really probably despised and would complain about and piss and moan, which drives us all nuts, right? And I feel like this is now saying, okay, we just got you some really, really, really significant help here, right? But we need you to maximize that now. And you need to be a star. Like like the days of, oh, whoa, poor Carl has, you know, he doesn't have this or that. They're gone now. The other thing that I think, so I think it's fair to, to paint the picture this way as well when, when it comes to this team. We have always said, and I still believe this, that the Vikings are a team that needs a Super Bowl. Like, I'm tired of, oh, you're pretty good now. Oh, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Oh, you lost. Oh, man, you got drilled in that playoff game. Um, when it comes to the Wild, I, I see that team building, and I like it. But come on. This is the Wolves. Like, for the last 18 years, we've known basically garbage. I think mm -hmm. two playoff appearances. And, and 
Would I like the Wolves to slow cook this thing and bring in talent and, you know, eventually someday have an LOB? Absolutely. But you know what I really want right now? Relevancy. I but want they're, them to they're, be they're kind of doing relevant. both. They're kind yes. of doing both. Well, well, and but my, Jade McDaniels. Jade, I mean, but my point is, if you give, if you, if I can present you right now, and I know in six years, this will be different, Phil. But if I can take the Utah Jazz year by year encyclopedia and say this is you now today, you're not going to say, oh no, no, this is no, this is a disaster. Mm-hmm. What is this? You're going to say, oh, hold on a second, playoff appearances, um, and I like the fact that this team is now run by all the way up to the people who are going to own this team and make no mistake, they are having a huge impact, good for them. I like the fact that this franchise is like saying, rightfully so, before anything, we need to be consistently relevant and trying to maximize things. Because I do think, you know, plans change and you can certainly shift your goals and things like that. But the Timberwolves right now, on Monday, July the 4th, 2022, are no question a better team than they were on Thursday. There's no question about that. And they were already, I think, um, transitioning to be a pretty good team. So I'm sorry. If you are going to play relevant basketball and be a playoff team, and then in the second round it might get weird, right now I'm willing to take that chance. You know, a couple other things too, because you kind of painted a – an either or picture there, and I and I jumped in. They're doing both. That's the that's the beauty of this trade. Yes, it was a lot to give up. I would argue that saying it was an overpay is splitting hairs. I mean, the, the Timberwolves got the best player or asset by far here, and the only question to me is fit, and we will find out. But they kept Anthony Edwards. They kept Jade McDaniel's. Yeah. If you think Jalen Noel is a part of that nucleus in some way, shape, or form. They kept him. Carl Anthony Towns is 26 years old, going to be 27. They kept him. And whatever you think of D'Lo, they kept him. They kept all these dudes under the age of 27. And D'Lo actually, I think he's going to be on the team at this point. I, I would be. I, I did talk to somebody with the Timberwolves a couple days ago. Uh, very excited. The organization is fired up for this. And he made it sound like, Anything can happen, but that part of the appeal here is D'Lo on a contract year and you get to play pick and roll with this master of crashing the rim and Rudy Gobert. Yep. So you you kept all of those guys. You didn't mortgage. It wasn't like when they traded Zach Levine for Jimmy Butler and you're mortgaging something five years down the road in hopes that you can maybe get to the second round in this year's playoffs, which didn't even happen, right? Like, it kind of ran right into a Warriors, but they didn't even get to the Warriors because they weren't even good enough to do that. Mm-hmm. Th- that's not what's happening here. They're adding Rudy Gobert to an already really good nucleus. And yes, Pat Beverly was a huge part of it and Jared Vanderbilt, but I'm elevating Jalen Noel, I'm elevating Jaden McDaniels, and I'm putting Rudy Gobert on top of all of it. So it kind of is the best of both worlds. Okay, what happens if it's sort of train wrecks? Or let's say the the worst fears of it not being a fit because you wind up running into a great small ball lineup come true. Okay, um, maybe after a year or two, and Gobert is 30, but age 31, 32, you turn around and you got you to deal one of your big guys. And you got Cat signed through 2028, so it makes more sense to trade the 31 or 32-year-old Gobert. You're probably going to get a first round pick or two 
in a trade for Rudy Gobert then. So like these, it's just like these these fear mongers. I don't these Minnesota sports fans. You guys, this is fun, and if it doesn't work, what have the Wolves really lost in thirty plus years as a franchise? They haven't been relevant, and I've been following this team, dude. I was going to games with Johnny Flynn starting at point guard, just saying, man, I'm gonna grind these games out because at some point it's gonna be worth it. It never was. <laughs> I don't care who their 2025 first-round pick is. I don't care what sixth grader they're going to draft in 2029. Mm -hmm. This is going to be super fun. And if it's not, whatever. You still have Anthony Edwards. They'll find a way out. They'll trade him for 50 cents on the dollar and find another fit. It's, 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 well, yeah. And this trade also, and this is a very important step because for a long, long time, this has not been the, the case. This step, this step is for the Wolves, another part of the transition to people who own the team who are going to be aggressive. I think in two years now, they are in luxury taxville. I'll say that again slowly. Luxury taxville. Glenn Taylor sweated nickels and dimes. Um, these guys don't want to wait. They don't want to wait. They they want to be aggressive. Yeah. They want to make this um, as competitive a franchise as possible. And could we in three years talk about it didn't work? Absolutely. And it'll be a good conversation, and, and there are lots of probably things at that point in time that if it didn't work, we can bring up. But that being said, and again, this is why. Kirk Cousins has provided us now with fodder since 2018, um, and a lot of it's been unfortunate. But I will never criticize the day they signed him because they were trying to go for it. And that's where I think the difference is. The difference is... Do you really want the Wolves to just sort of stand pat? Uh, we traded D'Lo for uh, a couple things. We're not quite sure how that's going to work. It, to your point, this franchise has long been associated with having to make the Garnett trade. Oh, uh, we got to unload him. Now it's Kevin Love. Now it's this guy. Now it's that guy. So when they are going to make an effort to be as competitive as possible, to see an opportunity, and, and also to address problems that we all saw, I mean, for lack of a better term, Memphis kicked their ass, like physically. Like mm -hmm. they just said, screw you, and they kicked their ass. A lot and of it in the paint, too. They're yeah. a good three-point shooting team and in that Conley series. And Conley and Finch said, you know what? That's a bunch of BS. We're going to try to do something to stop that. Good mm -hmm. for you. So, yeah. yeah. But but I, I think it's fine when it doesn't work to discuss the why. But I get really frustrated with a bold move which, by the way, we beg for cheap pull-ups. They don't do anything, right? Like, how often do Glenn Taylor, which is correct, but how often do we, um, pardon my French, piss and moan about yeah. the lack of moves, right? Mm -hmm. And then when a team makes one, we're like, well, that's far too much. That's, okay. I got only one question here. What if this does work? What if it works? I'll look at you. What if I, you. I'm just saying... You got to, at some point in time, you got to go on, on the table. You got to go on the table. You got to go on the table. You got to get your towel, towel on. Whatever works. It, come on. <laughs> what if it works? I know. Or what if the Jazz just screw up the draft picks? So it's not all of the a litany of great picks. It's a litany of just slappies. Yeah. They might, and the, the Jazz are interesting. And props to Brian Windhorst, the... Uh, Godfather of reckless speculation. His three minutes pointing to the sky <laughs> meme fest. It was. What you are know the what? Utah Jazz doing? I'm what with, are the Utah Jazz doing? And he, so was right. he was yes. right. He was right. Yes.
And he he sensed something. He sensed something in the air. Yep. Why would they do that? Yep. Why would they do that? Interesting. And how many fans watching that were screaming, nothing's going to happen. This is just stupid speculation. It's classic. This, making stuff up. Yep, yeah, this is so ESPN. <laughs> Windy. Hey, one more thing that people, because we, we, should, we should cover this too. Yep. And there's going to be plenty more conversations. I can't wait to get our guy uh, Kyle Taggy on for a flagrant howls episode this week too. So the idea that big guys, seven-footers who, well, most seven-footers don't age gracefully. They just they develop injury issues or, you know, if, they, if you lose a step, it looks a lot worse as a seven-footer than it might if you were a sniper shooter like a Ray Allen or something. Um, I don't know that there's any real reason to question Rudy Gobert's durability at this point. I know people are throwing out, well, Dwight Howard kind of went down the toilet, and you know, there's three or four other big guys. Well, Dikembe Mutombo was an effective shot-blocking big who rebounded, clogged the lane, and made a huge impact on multiple teams until he was 42. Uh, you know, Rudy Gobert, he's missed some games here and there, but you know, 81 games, 68, 71, 66. I don't know that there's like a like Dwight Howard had chronic back problems. I don't know that there's anything like that going on with Rudy Gobert that would say, oh, my God, he's in danger of going off a cliff next year. So um, more fear-mongering, as I see it. I think he's he's emerging into his peak the last three or four years, and there might even be three or four years left of it, which would coincide perfectly with the length of his contract. I need to see erosion for, for a 30-year-old right. before I start to you know, really you know, blow the whistle on this one, I guess. If you find out that the Wolves got their hands on a full report on Gobert and it said developing arthritis, we'll revisit that. Yeah. Chris, Chris Paddock, right? Or Pekovic's like knee or whatever. You know? I like the Paddock trade, but then I found out that his arm was about to fall off, and oh my goodness, I changed my tune. So yeah. yes, um, I would hope, I would think, that Conley, 1,000%, looked at exactly that, long and hard, and is confident. Yep. One other note here, just another stat to bring to the table. Rudy Gobert has led the NBA in field goal percentage and effective field goal percentage each of the last two seasons. Now, does that mean that he is James Harden with The Rock? And put it, does that mean he's as skilled as Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns? No, of course not. Almost all of his shots are dunks or point blank shots that come off pick and rolls or clean the glass, whatever. But when you start to look at the amount of shots that you get in a game as a team, however yeah. you get them, it's a it's a math game. You're going to get about this many shots tonight. You're going to need some of them to be threes. Some are going to be you know inefficient twos. Like how do you allocate your shots? Well, the the eight shots that he takes a night, you can take them to the bank, as opposed to some of these other guys that like when Nas Reed gets out there, oh he might clank six threes That's, or something. Yeah, he might I'm make some too. Totally. But, Yes. So I don't care if it looks ugly. I don't care if he has a sort of a non-versatile skill set. The guy makes 71% of his shots, <laughs> which is very helpful mm-hmm. to maximizing your scoring. Yeah, he led the NBA in rebounding and in field goal percentage and effective field goal percentage in 2021-22. So he shot 70% from the free throw line, too. It's time to go for it. That's what it is. It's time to go for it. So much fun. It's not time to be afraid. It's not time to be scared. Yeah. I don't I'll know. Tell I feel you. like oh, I'll that, tell you they gave up too is. many draft picks. That 2029 sixth grader right now is going to come back to haunt you at some point. Mm. I'm known as panic 
for a reason. And right now is not the time to panic. Right now Thank is you. the time to celebrate an acquisition that I think is going. I I am very excited to see the trickle down effect that this has on the other key players. Yeah. This is going to be a blast, and there's there's so much more to talk about. I do want to throw a shout-out to uh, the guy whose name I forgot at the beginning of the episode, the new three-point shooting sniper off the bench. Bryn Forbes is his name. Denver guy, right, who I think Conley had signed for the Nuggets. He, um, yeah, he was with Denver for part of last year, San Antonio, and he played, actually, San Antonio, was it at the beginning of the year? I, I can't remember. Uh, he was with Milwaukee for their championship season in 2020-21 in San Antonio nice. for four years before that. But he's going to make a million dollars as opposed to whatever Malik Beasley took up of your salary cap, 15 yeah. or 17 or something. Yes. And Bryn Forbes on four attempts per game shoots 41% in his career from three-point range, which is a higher percentage than, than Malik Beasley for a lot less money to your cap. And then Jalen Noel gets to step up and probably be your first scorer off the bench, which is going to be fun to watch this year. So just to go back on Bev briefly here, Phil, too, I find this to be intriguing from a locker room standpoint. Now, the Beverly part, I'm fine with. I liked him. It was fun. Uh, but if this, but if he got, if he helped to get the deal done, I'm fine with that. Um, I think from a locker room standpoint, though, that this screams, and I, I sort of like this a lot, that this screams that Finch is very comfortable with this being Ant's team. And just to be, just to clarify here, I don't mean that Cat's not important. So, like, I, I feel like that phrase, oh, I know, it's Cat's team. Okay, I'm talking about from a chemistry standpoint. Like, Ant's the guy that dominates things as far as personality goes. And by the way, I like it a lot. Cat um, certainly talks, and Cat has, has a big role in that room. But I feel like it's sort of Ant's personality that carries the day. Uh, and to me, this says that Finch feels that Ant is prepared to take that step now. Because, you know, Bev, I mean, Bev carried a lot. Um, this eliminates that completely and puts Ant, I think, in the position where if there was a guy who was going to wear a C on his jersey, like it was a hockey team, it's probably really Ant. And I think it, yes, I think I think it shows trust in Ant and just his maturity and, hey, okay, you know, he doesn't maybe he doesn't need Patrick Beverly handcuffed to him or whatever, but I think it also says a lot about the overall culture that they have. I think it says a lot about Jordan McLaughlin and Torian Prince, um, maybe even Rudy Gobert himself to just come in and uh, something else I retweeted a couple days ago. If you guys want to go check, just at Phil Mackey, someone had posted just some screenshots of people within the jazz organization and some of the things they had to say about Gobert, not just as a player, but as a person behind the scenes and like notes that he would send to people and texts and stuff just sounds like a good human and a good behind the scenes presence that the Timberwolves are getting. So I'm sure they factored that into the equation. Hey guys, we're going to have to throw in Patrick Beverly's salary to make this work. That's going to be a huge loss culturally behind the scenes. How are we making up for that? And their answer probably was, a little bit of Ant getting more mature, Jade McDaniels getting more mature, Rudy Gobert, what he brings behind the scenes, Torian Prince brought a lot as well last year, um, Kyle Anderson, I don't know for sure, but I'm sure they factored all of those things in. So, yes, this is going to be – I can't believe we have to wait like three and a half months for the season to start now. Get your tickets now. Man. Get your tickets <laughs> now. You, They're going to move product, I'll tell you that now. Yes. There will be a lot of it. I, I think – 
despite the fact that a lot of people are concerned about the trade, I do believe that there's going to be a ton of excitement about this, which there should be. And you know what? It's going to again prove this is a really good NBA town when you give the NBA fans something to embrace. Yep. Amen. All right, there's a million other things that we can get into here off this, and we'll sprinkle those talkers in throughout the week. Uh, Be on the lookout in the next, I don't know, two or three days for uh, the next Flagrant Howls episode with Kyle and myself. And uh, if you could click the subscribe button on the Score North YouTube channel and the like button on this video, you can help spread the word about what we're building here at Score North with Mackie and Judd and uh, also Purple Daily and all the other podcasts that we have as we try to uh, ride this wave into Timberwolves season. All right, this has been a 4th of July special edition of Mackie and Judd. Now back to our regularly scheduled drinking. That's right. Take care, everybody.